Good morning, everyone. It is good to be with you for worship this morning at WPC as we continue our September sermon series uh, walking through the epistle of James. So far, we've explored how James seeks to give disciples practical advice on living out their calling as Christians, to be both hearers and doers of God's word. And that faith that doesn't result in faithful action doesn't bear good fruit or show God's love to our neighbors. Today, our text focuses in a little further. It, it, uh, the, the wide focus starts to kind of zoom in to talk about the right speech of Christians, uh, and the power our words have on others. James is especially concerned about teachers here, particularly Christian teachers, um, talking a lot about pastors uh, and, and other church leaders. Christian writer Barbara Brown Taylor says that wise preachers understand that they are often preaching chiefly to themselves. And I think this seems particularly true for our lesson today. But this is also something James says everyone who calls himself a Christian should be thinking about. How much does my speech or how much do my my words, my interactions with others illustrate my understanding of who God is for us in Christ? I invite you to listen now, friends, with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the third chapter of James, beginning with the first verse. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with the bridle. If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships. Though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species. But no one can tame a tongue. A restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or a grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. This is the word of the Lord. Since childhood, I have had a bad habit that most of our society views as a hobby. I'm a golfer. A poor golfer, to be sure, but someone who nonetheless loves the game that was once deemed a good walk spoiled. I have enjoyed the game for years. When I became a teenager and started playing competitively on my school team, I noticed a paradox that every golfer does at some point. 
The shorter distance the shot is, or the shorter the shot, the more important it is to your score. Any golfer will tell you that a two-foot putt is much more important, has a much greater impact on your score than a 250-yard drive. In other words, it doesn't matter if you can hit the ball like Happy Gilmore if you can't make the putt afterwards. A small thing like a two-foot putt can have a big impact for good or for ill. I think this is essentially how James introduces the dangers of an untamed tongue. He says the tongue is a very small part of our body, but it has a big impact on our lives, our relationships, the world around us. He compares it to a ship. Though a ship is powered by wind and sails to catch the wind, only a small rudder underneath the boat is able to steer it in one direction or another. He also compares it to a bridle on a horse, a small bit that has the power to control a large animal. He even says that the tongue can be like a thrown match on a large droughted forest, creating a massive forest fire. Through all these images, James seeks to show us the power our words have. And as he says, how we all make mistakes in this regard. Normally at this point in the sermon, I would share what conflict scholars believe James is addressing in the early church and try to connect this to something that we're experiencing in our world today. But here, scholars are silent. There is no context. This is simply because this is a timeless concern of our words, our speech, causing harm, breaking down and not building up. It was true in James' time and is true today as well. It goes to the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, the truth is, is that we've all been hurt by words before. We know all too well that our words can fuel doubt, gossip, negativity, and so on. We also can all think of times where we have said something and immediately regretted it afterwards because it caused hurt for someone else. This truth only seems to be heightened today in an age of social media and other faceless communication that's at our fingertips constantly with these little devices here in our hands all the time. Studies show that we're much more likely to say things through these, this means than uh, that we would never dare to say to someone's face. Perhaps if James were around today, he might add in addition to taming our tongues, we ought to tame our thumbs as well. Though our species has control over all animals, James argues that we cannot tame our own tongues. But he also insists that we have to try. James implores us to discipline our speech, not silence it. The image he uses is a bridle, not a muzzle or a zipper. It's to guide and direct, not to completely silence. After all, he says that our tongues, our speech... They don't only do harm, they also have the power to do good. He says that our words have the power to bless and to curse, to build up and to break down. Our words can praise God's name in one breath and in the next curse our brothers and sisters who are created in God's own image. In seminary, I took an elective course on Celtic spirituality where we explored the various uh, spiritual practices and history of Christians in Ireland, Scotland, and so on. It was a fascinating experience participating in Celtic prayer services that went 
well back into the Middle Ages. But something I got to do in the class was study the numerous prayers of the Celtic tradition. These folks had a prayer for everything. For the beginning and end of a day, for the beginning and end of a journey, a prayer for harvest, a prayer for each season. They had several prayers just for milking cows. I really meant that they had a prayer for everything. What fascinated me was the Celtic prayer book I have from the class, still on my, my shelf in my study today, has a whole section devoted to blessings and curses. To be fair, most of the curses echoed the lament psalms, asking for God's judgment and justice on those who are causing harm to others. But you still kind of get this idea of our words causing both blessing and cursing in, in the same way. Or maybe a more contemporary example is a southern idiom that after having lived in the south for most of my adult life now, I'm still having trouble understanding. Some of you, I'm sure, know what I'm talking about already. It's a saying, bless your heart. Which on the one hand, bless your heart, it sounds like a blessing, like kind words to someone, but it's a saying that is often veiled, veiled in a deeper critique or concern or perhaps even an insult. You see it, to both bless and curse. Here we see exactly what James said our tendency is, to both bless and curse. And we can still see our tendency for this kind of double-mindedness, to both bless and curse. This is what James is so concerned about. James will talk a a lot more about double-mindedness throughout the rest of his epistle, and and this is really linked with a, a Jewish theology Uh, And it's a theology of human duality, and that is our tendency to do good and evil alike. That on the one hand, we're created good in God's own image, but on the other, we have a tendency to run as fast as we can away from this image in sin. In the next chapter, he'll address this further, encouraging Christians to let their yes be yes and their no be no. James wants our speech to lean on the good side, the side that remembers that we and everyone else were created in God's own image, something that we as Christians believe that Christ's own death and resurrection has redeemed and restored in each of us. You can see why James is especially concerned for teachers. James believes that teachers are even more prone to the dangers of the tongue, And on the one hand, it's simply because they talk a lot. Talking is part of the job as a teacher. But I think it's deeper than this. Teachers' words have a significant impact. They mold minds. And so if teachers model this kind of disciplined speech that James implores, they can help others to do the same. And so have an exponential impact. In other words, those who teach, those who lead, have the ability to help transform Christian speech to be something that builds up and bless others through their example. James, as a good teacher, models this himself with his own speech throughout the epistle. James is one of the only writers in the New Testament that uses inclusive language, uh, talking about men and women, sisters and brothers. Uh, It's quite unique. He also balances male and female imagery and ideas throughout his writing. This is something that is quite unique to the New Testament, and I think this is why. Through this careful language, James builds up by making sure both men and women feel included in the Christian community and in leadership in the church. 
This kind of careful, mindful speech has proven valuable to the church throughout the ages, but I think it's proven valuable, especially in some of its darkest moments. Back in 1935, uh, right uh, during the rise of Nazism in Germany, theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer was tasked with leading the Finkelwald Underground Seminary to train pastors to be a voice of truth and to be uh, witnesses to, to uh, proclaim the gospel against the horrors of Nazism. In the seminaries that are tre- teaching pastors, do you know what their number one most important rule was of this secret underground seminary? No gossiping. No talking about one another behind their backs. His former students later recalled the many times they broke this rule and how much they learned of the, the impact of this kind of gossip, this kind of negative speech that hurts the body of Christ. They found that it fueled doubt and fear rather than hope and love. In other words, in this dark time, their speech must be particularly careful, not just out in public where they were in constant fear of being caught, but it was even more important in their speech with one another, to seek to build one another up and not break each other down with gossip and the other words they shared. Thinking back to this dark time in history and the brave folks like Bonhoeffer who stood in resistance made me think of another aspect of James' guidance on Christian speech. Let's remember, James calls for our tongues to be tamed, not silenced. The image James uses is a bridle, not a muzzle or a zipper. I'm not much of a horse person, but I understand that a bridle doesn't stop a horse from running. Rather, it helps the horse run in a more focused and disciplined manner. James recognizes the need for Christians to stand up and speak out, to speak God's own truth and love, that we might build up and not break down, that we might bless and not curse our brothers and sisters created in God's own good image. Speech for James, then, is yet another way of making our faithfulness visible, tamed but not silent. A speech that is out actively sharing God's love, standing up for the marginalized, caring for those in need, and speaking out against the things that are at odds with God's royal law of loving one's neighbor as themselves. Just as in the previous chapter, James implores followers of Christ to show their faith by feeding, clothing, and befriending their neighbors in need. Here, this is really just a continuation of this idea of loving neighbor, Loving our neighbors by taming our speech that is prone to gossip and double-mindedness. But also speaking up for our neighbors in need. Advocating for them as a sign of our love. Friends, as followers of Jesus, James reminds us how our faith impacts our speech. Everything from our daily conversations to what we post on social media or in comment sections. Commending us to allow our speech to be for the building up of one another sharing Christ's love, and speaking God's truth and love. Though we'll all continue to struggle in doing this, may we trust in the presence of God's Spirit, alive and at work within each of us, that we might love one another as Christ loves us. All glory and power be to the Lord our God, who is coming to make all things new. Amen.